Well, hello, Bible Love listeners. So glad you are here with us today. Um, we're getting into kind of some tough stuff here in First Samuel. And so I thought I would bring out my handy dandy prayers for children because sometimes the prayers that um, are meant for children are the best ones for me. And this particular one is about suffering, which we hear a lot about um, in what we're going to discuss today. So the Lord be with you. Also with you. Also with you. Dear God, how can we bear the knowledge of hunger, of babies crying continually, of children who grow thin and mishappened, of mothers who give up their own share, and fathers who face despair? Forgive those of us who forget and teach us to remember. Cherish those who can never forget, who wait with Christ in the wilderness. Amen. Amen. So today we are joined by my friend, the Reverend Catherine Harper, who is the Associate Rector at St. Stephen's in Birmingham, Alabama. Catherine is one of my favorite folks ever. So grateful you are here with us, Catherine. She takes care of my family who are in Birmingham and parishioners of St. Stephen's. I'm grateful for that. And we both went to the Seminary of the Southwest, who actually won... The football game, the flag football game this year. Right? Has that ever happened before, Catherine? It's been a very long time. It was a long season of exile and drought. It certainly didn't happen when you and I were in seminary. (laughs) We're total losers. (laughs) We weren't even in seminary at the same time. So that kind of tells you how long it's been. So we beat the Presbys this year. And I have never felt so excited about a football game in my life. So... Catherine, we're glad you're here. And I'm so glad I can talk about football because every time Alan brings one of his folks on here from his beloved Virginia flag football team, I'm excited to have somebody from my seminary here. So welcome, dear Catherine. So glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And so today we're crawling into Samuel and Saul. Specifically, we are talking about um, First Samuel um, eight through 15, basically, is what we're kind of talking about today. And so there's a lot that happens here with Samuel sort of giving up the rain and Saul coming in. And um, Catherine, we just would love to kind of hear some of your thoughts about this particular piece of scripture. Um, do you hate us? We gave you a tough one. <laughs> I, I love you. Yes. Thank you. And I- in this with you. So I'm not doing this alone. How about that? Yeah, I'll do it together. Well, tell us some of your thoughts. Sure. So as I, as I wandered through this story, um, it's this challenging piece where Samuel has been the judge and, you know, we've all had that time when there's a, a, a senior person in our family and there's this question of, well, what's going to happen next? Because, the children of the family don't want to continue on or they're not very good. Mm. In, in this case, Samuel's kids are just terrible, we hear, or as the story is told. And so the people say, uh-uh, we're not going to keep this passing down of of trusting God through these judges, right? And so the people say, 
no, no, no. We're not going to trust that God could work through these people or that God has something else um, in store. We want to take over. We need a king. We want to be like everybody else. So it's this peer pressure story of um, we want to be like the others. Um, and, and the people say, and that's not what God wants. That's what we want, which is this, again, a struggle that I think I have daily too of balancing what is it that God is calling me to and and what is it that I want? And so we have this um, this call story, the story of, of calling that unfurls here and the tension that happens. Um, and so you have Saul, uh, Samuel like reconciling this grief of, okay, I guess I've got to listen because he goes to God and God says, listen to the people. And Samuel says, but they don't know what they're talking about. And God says, do exactly what they tell you. Hmm. But he, but Samuel has seen that other kings, you know, it doesn't go well. They're not loving. And so God says, just tell them what to expect. And so Samuel lays out for the people, here's what's going to happen point by point. Your kids are going to be taken away and used for the king's benefit, not for God's glory. Your stuff is going to be taken away. Like these, you're losing control. And the people say, good, let's do this. We want to lose control. Um, Interesting how they are so willing to sort of lose control, right? And 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 that's an interesting point to me. And also, I think about how Samuel must have felt like I don't have kids, but y'all do. Like my kids are not good enough to continue on in this. You know, there's there had to have been some real loss in that. What do you think? Yeah. I, I do think that, you know, my kids are still little, so I don't have older children. Um, so my kids are still pretty sweet or when they're not sweet, I know that there's something I can do about them. Mm-hmm. So there has to be this compounding of powerlessness mm-hmm. of what happened to my kids. Yeah, I can't fix them. And now these people aren't listening to me either. Am I doing, what am I doing? I'm not yeah. doing a good job here. Yeah. And I mean, not that we want all our kids to be, I mean, I don't think Alan would want Ford or Walker to be the king of anything, but I think that we can relate to that, right? When they are not sort of the perfect thing that we want them to be, right? Our parents in general can suffer in that, I would assume, when our children are not, don't meet our expectations sometimes. I mean, even kids in my youth group sometimes, I'm like, you know, they I don't have the greatest manners or no, I don't want to do confirmation or whatever. And I just feel this like disappointment. And why don't you want this? Alan, do you have that with your kids? Yeah. I mean, I, so my kids are 13 and 11 and this morning, my 13 year year old and I discovered that he's actually now taller than me. So wow. that's something I've got to deal with. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but he's, you know, he is who he is. He's an interesting guy. The 11 year old really wants to please his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he does things he doesn't want to do, mm-hmm. like plays different sports and does whatever, because he thinks it's what we want. And so we have these conversations, like I played baseball forever. He doesn't love baseball, but he signs up for it every year because he thinks it's what I want him to do. And so I have to, I repeatedly have this conversation. I'm like, bud, like the thing I want is for you to be happy and do the things you love. Right. And that spills over into school. You know, I don't know if you're in yet to school age and grades and like this is the last week of the six weeks and this is like knuckle down time and I'm talking to my middle schoolers like you have to talk to every teacher to figure all this out and 
the 11 year old, right? He wants to make good grades. And when he doesn't, he takes it as a personal slight. And so we're talking about, right? Like, I don't care about grades. I care about effort and the things you can control. And so here, what I hear in this is, you know, Samuel wrestling with as he failed as a dad. Yeah. Right. Or like, are he, is he setting up his kids to do something that they're called to do? Not what he might think they're called to do. Right. Yeah. It is troubling to read as, as the story is told here, it says his sons took bribes and perverted justice. Like as a parent, if I knew that my kids were growing up to do those things, Regardless of what it is they are called to do, those feel like foundational cracks yeah. that would just leave me grieved, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. grieved. And then he's got to go out and find somebody because his kids aren't good enough, right? And he's telling the people, like, this is not going to be good. And they're like, we don't care. This is what we want. We want a king and we don't care. And I mean, so I, my heart kind of hurts for Samuel in that. Like he's reject, his children are rejected. The people are not listening to him. He's trying to love the people and they're just not listening. And they don't seem to care very much. Faithfulness then is a really hard thing. Like yeah. One of the things that, that Sam Wells talked about this past weekend was um, in one of his talks, he, he said in scripture, each story that is in the Bible, we get to take away what? We get to listen for why is this here? And I think Samuel holds up for me how hard it is to live faithfully when it hurts. Mm-hmm. And what are we to do um, with disappointment? Because there is disappointment here. You know, that is so wise because I feel like this is a really, really, really tough part of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate you saying that because isn't that so true about life, right? What do we do when there's disappointment, when there's hurt, when there's deep grief? You know, I kind of preached about this yesterday. I preached about First Corinthians and Paul's letter. And Paul basically says, like, just keep going. Just keep going. And that's what I was trying to say to my peers. Like, even we've had a tragedy here in the last couple of weeks. In the midst of that, keep loving each other. Keep going, you know. But it is comforting when you see that real people who were significant enough to make it into the Bible, (laughs) right, felt this same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. What do you think? What about what's next, Catherine? So we we move forward in this story, right? So, So just as you said, Samuel has to keep moving, right? To be faithful, he has to keep going. And then the the storyteller, right, the narrator, takes us to the next thing, which is setting up that there was this man from the tribe of Benjamin and lays out a little bit of his, who his people are, right, mm-hmm. to get some tethering. Because the people of this time knew exactly, oh, oh, yeah, we know these people. We know the tribe of Benjamin. And lays out, all right, so there's this guy who... Um, is really handsome, right? He's he's amazing. So I was thinking, like, what makes him stand out, you know? Because they name his tribe, and, you know, who are your people? Being in the South, when I met my husband, Sam, and I told my uncles, one of my uncles said, well, who are his people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, 
That's exactly the same. And he, it's interesting they make a point of he's handsome, he's tall, like really describing him, almost like selling him a little bit. You know, tall is important here. Like it continues to be a theme, and it, it doesn't just stand out here in you know like chapter nine, but it comes out again as the people are then electing him. So we have two parallel stories of how Saul comes into light and into this position. One is that he's really good looking, whatever, whatever that means for the people of that day. Um, and, and then that he's taller than the others. So there's this physical distinction that makes him look not like the others. Mm. Um, so do you think they maybe gave him like more respect because of that or because he was different or he was certainly from a different tribe? You know, I mean, I, I don't know what there just seems to be some real importance in that. I mean, think about how we operate in society, right? Looks matter. Right. Right. Tall people, people who are generally considered more attractive, like they get paid more, they get all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Like for whatever reason that matters in our decisions. So like if you're picking a king, especially like when you're living in a warring area, you right. want a big king. Like physical strength, I think, would be an assurance for you. But then, right, like if if this guy's our king and he's attractive and tall, then what is that? That says good things about us, right? Right. And I'm by, you know, transitive property, I'm also big and strong and attractive. Look at my king. He's so good looking. He's so tall. He's so, you know, that means means I must be a part of a really good group too. Right. And so this was clearly like – exterior presentation was important in multiple ways, right? Cause like you couldn't go into the temple when you were diseased or broken looking, like mm-hmm. the lesser people were not welcome because they were not whole. So then the damage brought about by the King of the Ammonites, Nahash, mm-hmm. that's my Alabama way of saying his name. Yeah, he did it perfect. He was gouging out people's right eyes. So he's deforming them. Yeah breaking their bodies from how God made them, even though they were not followers of, of the God of Israel, you know, he was defacing them so that sociologically and you know culturally they were seen as lesser and controlled. So Saul in his height and in his beauty stands out as perfect, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, or, or something like, like that. You know, whole. He was whole and beautiful. And that's what they seem to want. Exactly. He's this ideal. And then this story unfurls in a very interesting way, right? So these donkeys from his family go missing. So he goes out with a couple of guys and they go searching for the donkeys. But this part of the story is interesting to me because he's on this donkey hunt, which makes me kind of giggle. But we have this lowly servant who is affirming him and giving him guidance in the story. Like these unlikely guides for what's to happen next. Like we expect Samuel to be able to hear God's word, right? But then this unnamed person, a boy, we're we're told, probably a servant, says, hey, you know, there's a man of God around here. And, And I even have a silver shekel that you can pay him so that we can get the inside dope on where these donkeys may have gone to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is all how we pick a king. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bizarre. Thank you for bringing us back to what's the point here. Yeah. Like this ties into 
who's being made the king. Um, Because the person that is the seer that tells, gives the inside line on where to find the donkeys is actually Samuel. And so they bump into each other and God has already told Samuel, Hey, you're going to, you're going to meet who you're supposed to nominate as King. You're going to anoint this person King. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's just a fascinating tale of, of the threads being interwoven together. Well, and I think it's interesting too because it it is a shift from lineage of <laughs> kings and prophets to this sort of random person um, mm-hmm. who is beautiful and tall and all of those things. But then when he actually sort of becomes the king, it it ain't so great. So <laughs> hard stuff happens, right? And that's kind of like life, right? Like right. we think it's going to be perfect. Everything has fallen into place. And then suddenly we dip down into challenge and what are we to do? Mm-hmm. And so we have Samuel who then gets kind of preachy in chapter 12 and has this long speech, right? Retelling the story back from like Moses and Aaron. Right. To say, Look, you chose a king. But in this preachy story, you know, God had a hand in the choosing of that king too. So there are multiple parties accountable then, which makes it even more complicated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as things start to fall apart. Right. So we have this battle with the Philistines and, and it's a little confusing, right? Because then we have this mention that Saul is supposed to wait for seven days, which is actually clearly this piece from first Samuel has been redacted and like edited behind so for someone who is trying to read this story straight through, they go, wait, what? what why seven days? It's a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. But back when Saul and Samuel initially met, Samuel said, Saul, you're going to go to this place and wait for me seven days. So then kind of fast forward, wait for those seven days. But Saul doesn't wait those seven days. Mm-hmm. The people are getting antsy. They're wanting to go on, right? Because they've had this battle and, and, then the people were told by God, it's, it's convoluted, right? Yes. God said, kill everybody, which is another uncomfortable thing here, right? So Saul tells them, um, well, they don't kill everybody. Like, they kill some people, but they hold the king and they reserve the best for sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And then Samuel says, you didn't follow the rules, Saul. You broke the rules, um, but, but God wanted them to kill everybody and the people hold back the best for sacrifice. Now it's not clear if that's a sacrifice to you know Yahweh or to um, another God, but that's some really challenging stuff. Why yeah. We talked want- about this a little bit before we started, like, yeah. and I love the two of you to repeat what you said, you know, what does that say about God? Right? This mm-hmm. is when the Bible it gets really, really tough, and we just want to skip to the New Testament and talk about Jesus. Right? Right. Because God's saying kill people, God's saying I made mistakes. You God just kill all the people, like the children and the women and all of the livestock, all of the things that can bring life and sustenance. In a place where life and sustenance take a lot of hard work. Yeah, what are we supposed to do with that? You know, and I think that's tough 
Alan, you had a good thought about it earlier. I actually don't remember what that was, but maybe I'll think of it. I do have another thought. Um, right. So this really goes at the heart of biblical literalism. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, cause if we read and we've talked about this over the past, um, if we read this as an ancient Near Eastern people wrestling with the conditions of their life and how they make sense of it, what they hear as God maybe is what God said, or maybe it was their best guess. What we understand God to be and the qualities we believe God to possess would challenge what God says here. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like there, you know, I can hold competing thoughts in my mind and I can wrestle with this. Um, but yeah, I mean, does God? Make- some people can't though. Yeah. Some, some people can't. can't. And like, and so this would be detrimental to them. And you know, the other thing, right? Like 13, like for the biblical literalism, the other thing is like 13, you go to someone who believes the Bible's inerrant and believe contains everything imaginable. Ask him how old Saul was when he began to reign. My Bible literally has dots because it says it wasn't included. Mine does too. So it's, it's some, it's some decade and two years ish. Yeah. And so, right. Saul was dot, dot, dot years old when he began to reign and he reigned dot, dot, dot and two years over Israel. And so this is a textual criticism piece, right? Like the Bible has errors, right? There are missing pieces to scripture Mm -hmm. and we have to scholars wrestle with putting it back together. And so we as readers today have to understand that and say like, There's gaps, and we've yeah. got to wrestle with those gaps. The question about God making mistakes, right? Like, you know, God is saying, trust the people. And if we jump ahead, right, yeah. the section we're talking about today, um, chapter 15 ends, and the Lord was sorry that he had made King Saul king over Israel. God says, I messed up, <laughs> right? Like, I can't think of anywhere else in scripture where God expresses regret. Mm. I mean, God, I think expresses regret over the actions of others. Right. I think that's apparent, but here God says, I'm sorry. I did that. And that's admitting a mistake. Maybe God said that God says, I, yes, I myself, not you chose wrongly. I chose wrongly. God chose wrongly, which, wow. Like, I, I think of the ways that we describe God as being um, unchangeable, right? This outside of time and all knowing. Well, if God is all knowing, then why in the world does God say oopsies? Like, yeah. Yeah. this is not a God we tend to understand or, and it's the same God. I'm not trying to say it's two different gods, but it's, it's like, I agree. I think there's definitely a good good amount of disappointment and things that have happened in the Bible before. But I, I can't remember a time when God says I made this mistake. And what do we do with that? You know, does God make mistakes? Seems like he did right here, you know, um, or at least God was identifying that, you know, if you take it in a literal, right. Yeah. And like the question this begs for me is the mistake God made potentially is allowing humans free will in this instance. Right. Right. Because earlier what God did was said, let the people choose. 
right? Like God didn't like handpick anything. Like he said, listen to the people, the people did this. And so God's regret, as I hear that, is like, I shouldn't have let these people choose. And then Alan, what comes up for me is thinking about when there are disappointments, we, we grieve, we grieve the loss that happens. So if you just look to first Samuel chapter 16, that first verse says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? You know, so it reminds me that there's grief when we have disappointment. There's grief in this story, right? Samuel has grief that his sons didn't live up to what he hoped. You know, Saul expresses grief and lives grief when he, he messes up too, right? Like he's in his self. It's like this righteousness that becomes self-righteousness when they're in the heat of battle. He tells his troops don't eat while you're fighting, right? As a sign of faithfulness to God. Well, then what happens? Not everybody gets the memo and then they're hungry, you know, and then his own son doesn't know that they're not supposed to eat, finds honey on the ground, eats it, and then has made a mistake. Um, not knowing that he made a mistake. And there's grieving that happens because of that. Then they cast lots and Jonathan is shown to be the weakest link, um, even though he's not a bad guy. And so there's grieving that happens. And then that in our mistakes that make us stronger, you know, um, I believe that a lot of times the mistakes I make, I learn from them and they make me stronger. And so when we get into the next part to the King that we all know and love, who also made a lot of mistakes, David, (laughs) you know, um, but I, I do think those mistakes and those griefs were part of life then. Yeah. And they're part of life now. Yeah. And they don't go away. It makes me think, like we've seen a lot of folks who've had flaws as leaders in scripture so far. Abraham, like we recount their flaws today as like character lessons if God can do this. Here we have an instance, and we'll get that with David too. David made plenty of mistakes. But here we have an instance where they're fatal flaws, right? Like it's not redeemed in some great hero story. This is an actual tragedy. Like there's a flawed person who did flawed things and the whole thing falls apart. It's not, you know, Moses can't speak. And so it becomes a little shtick and he still becomes a great leader. This is like Samuel and his kids and Saul, like they just can't do it. And there's a real break there, right? Because when Samuel confronts Saul and says, you broke the rules, Saul says, I'm sorry. And Samuel says, that's not good enough. Like there are no consequences. And then they go separate ways and don't see each other again until Samuel's death. Like it's, it's a break, you know, and you know, there's the tearing of the cloth. There's the ripping of the relationship. Um, and that's, and you know, each of us have, have experienced that kind of damage as well. And it's, it's really painful when we have to go separate ways because the damage is so great. And I have to say, I need to protect myself because we can't do this anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it's helpful to me because not every story has a happy ending. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's really how life is. Right. That not every story has a happy ending. Sometimes there's a lot of grief 
and there's a lot of sadness and there's ending of relationships. And we've all been through that and we all experience that. There's not a person out there who's listening to this podcast that has not experienced that. But what we do know is that God continues on and God continues to love us. And God continues just in this story as he will next week, you know, in, in building up the leadership and the love that's supposed to be there for us. So Catherine, I hope we got through everything you wanted to talk about. I'm so grateful. I always get, you know, worried. Is this going to work out? How's it going to go? But, you know, Catherine, God works exactly how God needs to. You came to us today with a story that was really hard and helped remember that there are wonderful life lessons in this. Even when it's hard, even when there's grief, God never stops loving us. So thank you for being here with us today. Listeners, remember that we love you, but most importantly, God does. 